Hello, everybody. My name is Danny Grant. I am an artist, a drawing and painting instructor. I live in Austin, Texas, and I would like to welcome you back to the studio. This is the place where I interview and talk shop with other professional artists, and we get an inside glimpse into their daily lives as professional artists. This episode of the Studio Podcast is sponsored by the new Figurative Art Convention and Expo. Finally, there is a conference just for the figurative world. It includes hands-on workshops and demos from artists like Jacob Collins, Juliet Aristides, Daniel Graves, David LaFell, Max Ginsberg, Stephen Assail, Jeremy Lipking, Graydon Parrish, Sherry McGraw, Jordan Sokol, Cesar Santos, and John Coleman. That is one hell of a lineup. Um, plus, they have added in the track conference at the same time, all for one price. You can learn more about FACE at figurativeartconvention.com. My guest on this episode is artist Jeff Legg. I don't think Jeff needs much of an intro. He has established himself in the upper echelon of contemporary artists. Uh, he's known mostly for his still life work, and I'm just grateful to him for uh, giving such an insightful and engaging interview, which um, I will let you all listen to in just a moment. But first, I want to mention that the gallery show featuring artists I have interviewed on this podcast recently opened, and it's a, it's really a wonderful show, and it's been warmly received. Um, the work is just fantastic from Andrew Amaral, Todd Casey, Abby Ryan, Joseph Daly, Scott Waddell, Hollis Dunlap, Graydon Parrish, Brian Larson, Gabriella Deloso, and me. And the show will be up until July 16th. So if you're in the central Texas area, go check it out at the Georgetown Arts Center. And while I'm on the subject, I want to give a shout out to some really cool people I met at the opening, um, artists and listeners to this podcast, Robert in Tyler, Texas, Michael and Audra uh, from Fort Worth, and congratulations to them. They just got married about a week ago. Um, and they attend the Texas Academy of Figurative Art in Fort Worth, also known as TAFA. And I want to give a, a shout out to the whole gang there. And Daniel, who is an artist and soldier stationed at Fort Hood, Texas. Thank you guys so much for listening and for traveling as far as you did to come see the show. And thanks to Stuart and Lindsay and Madi for all your help putting that show together. Okay, without any further ado, here is my interview with Jeff Beleg. Okay, I am excited to say that I have Jeff Legg on the phone with me. Jeff, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Danny. Great um, to be here. Yeah, it's exciting to uh, to get to talk to you. We met, we did meet briefly a few years ago. So well, tell us, tell us where uh, where you are calling from, or where I called you. <laughs> I am calling from an undisclosed location <laughs> okay. in the. <laughs> a deep Ozark bunker Mountain. Under, okay. A Actually, bunker I'm, under I'm, the Ozark I'm near, <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm I'm near uh Rogers, Arkansas now, which is um I'm about I don't know, fifteen, twenty minutes east, kind of out towards the lake, um uh northwest corner of Arkansas is a beautiful part of the, the world and I just moved here oh. less than a year ago. 
I actually uh, grew up in this area in southwest Missouri, which is just a short distance away. Okay. And uh, kind of got back to my roots here um, after being in Colorado for 10 years. Oh, cool. So why why leave Colorado? Just just wanted to get back to your roots there? Well, that, that was definitely one reason. Um, I... I wanted to move to a milder climate. That was mm. another reason. I missed the longer, you know, the longer seasons of change. Mm-hmm. Um, out in where I was in Colorado, we had about six months of winter, so that was yeah. rather daunting at times. Yeah. But uh, also, just I love the Ozarks. Like I said, I grew up out here, and um, you know, I love the variety of the flora and fauna, the, you know, the creepy crawlers and all the <laughs> the critters running around and the fishing and all cool. that. Yeah. I just, I miss, miss that. And it, I think where you grew up, you kind of get into this rhythm, kind of an internal clock that's in rhythm with the seasons. And mm-hmm. although I was in Colorado for 10 years, I, I don't know if I ever really got in sync with the rhythm of that, of the seasons there so i i kind of feel just more comfortable here more at home um also it's too darn sunny out there Uh, (laughs) i love i love the sun and that was actually one of the big reasons i wanted to move out there but it got to where i was really craving cloudy days um at least some and it's i love the light for on a cloudy day for painting Right. Uh, sun, sun is, you know, when you have sun and clouds and sun and clouds sort of rolling in all day long, uh, the light changes so much. It's yeah. just really frustrating. Um, and another, just kind of a bonus, a couple bonus reasons for being out here is there's a great new museum, um, called Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. Cool. That's in Bentonville, Arkansas. And it was built by the one of the Walmart children, uh, Alice Walton. And it is just a fabulous uh, museum with a great collection. And that's just like 20 minutes from my house. So oh, wow. it's really great to have that nearby. Yeah. And, um, you know, to, to get all the other artists to move out here, the cost of living is, is relatively low. So yeah. It's, so uh, was, you know, I was wondering wonderful place to live for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that might be one of one of the reasons for going there from from Colorado. Yeah, you can buy a lot more home here for less money than in Colorado and probably a lot of other places. Sure, sure. You know, it's uh yeah, Is it's it a beautiful building up state. around there though because of because of it being kind of Walmart center. It is Nor- northwest Arkansas is just the growth curve is you know, it's just booming here. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, there, what's nice is I'm out in the country. So I've got, you know, like 12 acres here and oh, I border wow. on a state border on a state park. So it's, oh, you know, yeah. really quiet. I don't have neighbors, but you know, in 20 minutes I can be in town and have the city life where there's, um, you know, there's been so much change here in the last 10 years. You can, you know, there's all kinds of new restaurants and, things going on you know yeah. if you want that so cool it sounds like i uh, like that yeah sounds like best of both worlds there um yeah that's mm-hmm. great um did you did you end up building a studio there or? well actually the 
property that I bought here has a big barn on the place. It's wow. it's not like an old-fashioned barn. It's a newer metal barn, but it's like 45 by 45, oh, and it has about, I don't know, close to 20-foot ceilings. So wow. I've got a carpent, carpenter lined up this summer that's going to go in there and convert this that into part of it into uh, my studio and then part of it into my fiance studio who's also an artist oh perfect. so uh hopefully by fall we'll have our new studio space ready wow that sounds great so r- right right now i'm painting in like a bonus room in the house which yeah is working okay but i don't have north light i've got kind of uh north well, east, a little bit north light, which works later in the day, but, you know, in the morning, it, it doesn't work too well. So, right. plus I paint at night quite a bit, and I use artificial lighting sometimes, so, so it's I'm working assuming, out. Uh, I'm assuming, uh, do you, so do you, would you use both natural light and artificial light on the same painting, or are those different different things you're working on? Um, actually either, or you could, you know, if you can get your, your, uh, artificial light to go in roughly the same direction, um, that will mimic temperature lights and the daylight. Yeah. Yeah. And if the temperature's off, I mean, I've painted enough paintings. I I know what colors to use to get the right temperature anyway. So it's, uh, yeah, that, that works. Okay. okay. The problem with artificial light, of course, usually is that you, it's not as diffused, so you get harsher right. shadows. And so, you know, you might have to compensate for that if you started with natural light and had these real soft right. shadows, and then you switch it to an artificial light, you, may, you can't, you know, change your shadows. You just have to keep with what you started with. So, sure, sure. Um, so, I want to know what a typical day in the life of Jeff Legg looks like. Um, so, you know, just everything. What, what, you know, what time do you get up in the morning? You got any kind of rituals that you go through when you, when you get into the studio and how long do you spend in the studio? Just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. all, all the details on a Jeff Legg, typical Jeff Legg day. Well, nothing's been very typical since I moved. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what it's like getting resettled into a new place, I'm sure. And yeah. it's very disrupt, very disruptive this past year, but I'm starting to get more into a routine. And, um, typically, you know, I'll get up at the, like the crack of eight, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not a morning person. So, you know, eight is probably my, my goal. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'll have a cup of coffee, a couple cups of coffee, uh, maybe fry up some eggs, um, you know, and have a somewhat of a breakfast. And I tend to turn the news on for a bit just to see if the world ended, you know, while I was asleep. <laughs> yeah. If, if everything looks, you know, decent on that front, then I go, usually go over my lengthy to-do list. I, I keep lists, I think, because my mind is very disorganized. So I, cool. I have yeah. to. Put so something in front a, of me. Do you make a list uh, the night before? Yeah, I, I try to do it before I 
go, I have like this ongoing list that I'm updating. Mm-hmm. So I'll go over that in the evening and kind of get it ready for the next day, plan out my week. Yeah. Um, so I go over that list in the morning, see, you know, what I need to do, maybe so, look at. So what type of things different... would, be on, would be on that list? Would it be things like, uh, well, I don't know. I'll just let you answer. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, it could be anything from, you know, running errands in town to, yeah. uh, the paintings that I need to, to get done or mm-hmm. some shows that are coming up or answering emails or, you know, any number of things. But, right. um, but I always have to remind myself that the most important thing is doing paintings. Yeah. Cause if I don't do paintings, I'm going to go broke, so, right. <laughs> you know? So, so I, is that, uh, do you kind of prioritize that. that as far as, uh, let's say you got, you know, eight things on this list or do all the things that have to do with painting come first? Well, depends. I mean, I, I try to, the hardest thing is, prioritizing what's yeah. important and you know many times other things distract me away from painting um so i have to fight that and try right. to really hone it down to what what things can i put off and what things do i have to do yeah today <clears throat> but uh anyway once i try to figure that out then i try to get started painting by, you know, 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. or so. And, okay. Um, I'm of the, I guess over the years, I've, I've realized that painting efficiently is a lot more important, a lot better than painting long and hard. Yeah, um, right. Although I, I did a lot of long days, uh, you know, early in the career, um, I think I do my best work if I don't work over like five or six hours mm-hmm. in a stretch. Um, yeah. And uh, after that, I'm, you know, my eyes are tired and time to take a break or have dinner or whatever. So I might work from 10 a.m. to four, maybe. Okay. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, I might have yard work to do or like, you know, need to go to town, run some errands or something. Mm-hmm. But then I may go back later in the evening after dinner, say eight or nine o'clock and paint for a couple hours. If, you know, something is pressing or if I feel inspired to do something. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty typical, I guess. Okay. Um, I wish it was more, uh, more typically that way. It, you know, it, it does vary a lot just because of this move has, Right. You know, there's so many things that still need to be put away and, you know, little repairs that need to be done around the house and things like yeah. that. And I'm late, lately I've been getting into, you know, landscaping and gardening and things like that. And I, I love to do that stuff. So, cool. you know, I'll itch to get outside and plant a tree or, you know, <laughs> some flowers or something. Yeah. So anyway. Nice. Yeah. Nice change of pace from being kind of in the studio by yourself, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've got to break it up for sure. Cause, yeah. Uh, you know, the the first, gosh, I don't know, maybe 10 years of painting full time, I would work, you know, I don't know, I was probably working like 9 a.m. to, uh, you know, 6. And I had little kids back then. So, you hmm. know, I'd 
you know, take off from six to eight and, you know, have dinner with the wife and the kids and, and, uh, do things with them. And then after dinner and after the kids were in bed, I would go back out to the studio and paint till one or two in the morning. You wow. know? So I was probably doing, you know, that's impressive. Gosh, <laughs> 12, 15 hours a day for 10 years, I would gosh. say. Wow. But I, I really thought I, of course I had a little more energy then, but yeah, I just felt like in order to reach my, my goals as a, an artist, I just had to put in the time. Yeah. And, uh, so you know, what, they, yeah. anyway, they, they talk about, you know, you have to put in 10,000 hours to be a expert at anything. And I guess mm-hmm. that's somewhat true. You know, you just have to put in the, the mileage. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, I say that to students all day long. It's just all about, it's all about the mileage, you know? Um, so what were those, what were those early days like? So you have small kids and you're working these, you know, really long hours. <clears throat> um, the thing that occurred to me is you, you know, if, yeah, you're putting in these long hours to sort of, you know, build your career, but, um, if you're able to put that many hours into painting at that time, you must've been selling pretty well. Was that the case? Well, off and on, um, I was blessed in the fact that I had a career before my art career as a, I actually owned a bike shop, uh, bicycle and bicycles and fitness equipment. And I did that for about 10 or 11 years Okay. and had, you know, a couple of stores and employees and all that. So, you know, that I learned a lot about business and marketing, mm-hmm. um, during that time. And when I, I sold my business in 1990 and just, you know, cold Turkey went full time. I, I hadn't really even painted that much up until that time. Hmm. That during that time that I had the bike shop, I did prior to that. You know, when I was a you know a teenager and also in art school. But so uh, so did you go to? I was looking at your your bio, I guess, on your website. You went to the Lac Atelier, right? Atelier Lac. Atelier Lac. So was that before you opened? uh, Had the bike shop and the. Yeah, that was that was oh, in okay. like seventy nineteen seventy eight seventy nine, and uh, first I went to the Minneapolis College of Art and Design, which was you know MCAD they call it, mm-hmm. and I was just there really a short stint because I realized pretty quickly that um, there just was nothing there for me. They were it was the polar opposite of the atelier. Um, yeah. Where, you know, at, at MCAT, it was like, just do your own thing. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever makes you feel good kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I did have one really good drawing teacher there, uh, Paul Olson, that was just a fabulous, uh, you know, life drawing. But <clears throat> I left there like in less than a year just because it was expensive and I wasn't really getting enough out of it. It wasn't yeah. what I was after. And I just, by chance, bumped into one of the uh, LAC students at the uh, museum, hmm. he, he was sketching a, he was drawing a sculpture and he was really good. And I thought, man, we're, 
I haven't <laughs> met you yet. I haven't seen you on campus. And then he told me he went to the lac, you know, Atelier Lac, and I didn't really even know what that was at the yeah. time. And he explained it to me, and he said, well, you know, you should go in there and uh, meet Mr. Lack and blah, blah, blah. Cool. So I, I went in and showed my port, my sketch pad, really, to uh, Mr. Lack, and there was a waiting list of, like, I don't know, 30 students waiting oh, to get wow. in there, and he, he, he went ahead and put me to the the head of, you know, the front of the line, and I got in immediately, basically. Oh, cool. And, uh, but... Long story short, I, you know, it's a very highly structured program and quite frankly, it's sort of a my way or the highway kind of a mentality there. And I'm, I guess all my life I've been sort of a nonconformist in some (laughs) ways and I just, I just did not, well, let's put it this way. I, my stint there was short-lived um so i was sort of kicked out but that's another story (laughs) but you know basically it goes it comes down to just not i just didn't buy into the whole pedigree Hmm. thing and the structure and right and i i learned a lot there i really did i i learned to observe and to see really clearly uh, through the whole drawing cast and, and all mm-hmm. that. But I think um, I would really caution young artists to be really careful about going to places like that, just realizing that it isn't the only way and to not allow your creative spirit to be, you know, suppressed or crushed through too much mm-hmm. structure. Mm-hmm. So structure is good, but you can, I think you can overdo it. For me, it just, it just wasn't quite working, I guess, mm-hmm. but I did, I did learn a lot. Yeah. You do have to kind of, time. you do, you do have to kind of give over your, uh, I would agree. You, you kind of have to give over your sort of vision, I guess, if you have one for a while, while you, while you just kind of purely um, try to learn learn the skills um yeah and and i don't mean to criticize that that whole uh, atelier approach um because different schools have different ways of approaching that have different attitudes but at the time the, the time i was at that particular place um i felt like i was being crammed into this small little box that yeah. i just resist i resisted you know to some yeah. extent getting into right but uh uh and just while i'm thinking about it i i will say that the most important thing that happened to me really ever in my whole career was being taken under the wing of a mentor in eighth grade hmm. um a man a man by the name of daryl dishman who was the uh the art professor at Missouri Southern State College, it was called at the time. Uh-huh. Um, just through happenstance, we met like through my parents or something. And um, not sure how that all ha- came about, but that turned into being <clears throat> mentored by him in his studio every week for about three and a half years. 
Cool. And he, he was a fantastic watercolor painter. He was a, a well-known regional artist. Mm-hmm. And uh, above all, he was just a fantastic teacher, just really encouraging. Uh, everybody loved him because he was just, you know, his enthusiasm was contagious. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I really credit him for 90, 95% of everything I know today wow. came from that man. And uh, the whole, you know, the whole basis of drawing and seeing, learning how to see came from from him. So I just want to give him credit. He's yeah. no longer with us, but uh, anyway, he's he was a great man. Wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, and I I was with him like into twelfth grade. So okay. he he actually encouraged me to go to uh, the Art Students League in New York mm-hmm. when I got out of high school. And at the time, you know, when you're that young, it's like, really, New York? And I was just, it would just seem overwhelming to think yeah. of moving to a place like that. Right. And in hindsight, I think I wish I had. Yeah. But my sis, my sister lived in Minneapolis, and and then I got accepted into that, you know, MCAD, and right. it made more sense to me to go somewhere where I had a, you know, someone sure. I knew. Yeah. And but. Uh, it's so hard to know quite. at that age, you know, it's just, I feel like you just, yeah. don't ha- you almost just don't have enough information at that age to make, um, to really make the best decision about, about where to go. It's so hard. Especially at that time in the art world, I mean, in the art business, I mean, there just wasn't, Yeah. you didn't have the, you didn't have the internet for one thing. Right, know? right. Yeah, so, so it'd be hard it was to hard to get information. Yeah, right. Right. Huh. <clears throat> um, wow, that's, I, I mean, that's that's really cool that, a, 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 you know, somebody, a mentor like that could have um, such a huge impact and even a bigger impact on, on the schools that you mentioned. So, what I mean, what were your lessons like with him? What kind of things would you guys, you said he was a watercolorist. So were you doing watercolor work uh, alongside him? Yeah, I did. We did a lot of drawing, um, a lot of drawing. Yeah, we would, would you, actually would he go out. Do you a lot or? Um, or is it, or not. Is it he wouldn't actually. He wouldn't you. actually draw. Well, he wouldn't draw on my drawings much, mm-hmm. but we would go to like, we'd go down to local restaurants and just sit and sketch people. You know. Oh, cool. Um, in the studio, he would give me, you know, we copied photo. Didn't work from life very much, except when we went outdoors and did landscape. Mm-hmm. But you know, I would copy copy photos that he would give me. Mm-hmm. Um, but just a, yeah, a lot of drawing, and then uh, did a lot of watercolor. Uh, went out on location, did plein air before plein air was popular, you know, <laughs> and uh, and then. Uh, he would actually take me out with his uh, college students when I was in like junior high and high school and we'd go on these field trips and paint and go out and, you know, talk and stuff. So it was so neat to be included in all that, but he just really strongly um, emphasized drawing and which was, you know, really foundational. Yeah. And then the watercolor, I'm, one day we'll get back to watercolor, but that was just a great experience because it, he, he painted watercolor in a very spontaneous way, Mm -hmm. loose and spontaneous. And so it taught me just 
I don't know, just to be creative and try things and experiment, you know. And, right. Uh, so it was a really valuable. Be thing, be okay with things maybe not going so well, or I find that what important. was that? I find it important, like, you know, just to, to, especially while you're learning, just to be okay with, with things maybe not going so well if you try something, you know. Right, um, right, yeah, So I was, definitely. I was wondering was... if that was kind of, a, you know, uh, was that the attitude that he sort of promoted and, and that you were able to take on by doing that? Yeah, yeah, he was not, He he definitely wasn't a, you know, rigid my way or the highway kind of guy mm-hmm. um and he was very he was just very really good with people and like i say encouraging enthusiastic and you know not not critical uh really too much he, you know he would cor- correct and he would teach and everything but it was fun you know yeah. there wasn't anything scary about it so right now i think that's 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 really really important um is uh to keep a, a high school kid as you know it's still got to be fun and um that's important that seems like mm-hmm. a um i'm not sure i'd be great at that <laughs> to be honest uh, yeah well i'm not sure i would be either tell you yeah, the truth <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he was excellent you know yeah that's that's great he was super um yeah, and I, I really think the watercolor, uh, being you know trained in watercolor that early on has really influenced my oils. Hmm. Um, it made it made me fall in love with transparency, and uh, so cool. You know, I I of course use opaque paint, but I also use glazing and transparent washes and things. So mm-hmm. I'm certain that that period of time still, you know, it still influences how I paint today. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, that, yeah, that's a really attractive quality about your work is that um, you get such a, a such a nice variance in in textures and opacity, and um, that's interesting. That's really cool to hear that that that, that came from that time, and you were able to hold on to that. So yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Did you want to add to that? No, no, no. That's 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 it. I guess. <laughs> Go um, ahead. <laughs> no, I, I wanted to kind of get back um, a little bit to the timeline because that, that's interesting. So you trained and then so how did you go? How did you head into sort of um, running a business rather than than kind of starting your art career? Well, my dad is an entrepreneur, was an entrepreneur uh, and always taught me that working for yourself is better than working for someone else. Mm -hmm. And so when I got out of art school, uh, came home to Southwest Missouri, didn't want to live with mom and dad, you know, I wanted to be on my own. So, and I didn't have any clue how to make a living as an artist. Right. Um, I knew that's, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Never wavered from that, but, in the meantime, I had to pay my rent and, you know, yeah. feed myself. So I grew up, you know, during those high school years, doing a lot of bicycling, uh, did a lot of bike touring, did some racing and stuff. Oh, cool. And, um, well, not much racing, mostly touring. Yeah. Kind of racing with my friends mainly. Right. But, 
so I just love bikes. I love the mechanics of it. You know, I take my bike apart and put it back together and, you know, do all that. Yeah. So I knew a little bit about it and I just loved the, the sport of biking. So, uh, just through a series of events, I decided, Hey, I, I, you know, there seemed to be a need for someone to fix bikes in town and I knew I'm pretty mechanical. So I, you know, decided I was going to open up a business and, you know, on like $300, I opened up my bike shop. Wow. Cool. <laughs> and I started what I started, I started out just buying used bikes at garage sales and I'd fix them up and resell them. Uh-huh. And then I just, it just sort of snowballed and, I don't know, just within a few years, I was the uh, largest Schwinn dealership in the four-state area. So I I had, uh, I started in a garage, literally in my garage, and then, um, you know, eventually went into a retail location and then then a bigger location. And then I had two stores and and I was selling fitness equipment to the hospital and, you know, just, it just kind of went crazy. Cool. And of course, at the at the meantime, in the meantime, I was you know raising a family. I started having children. Yeah. Uh, and when you're making money and you have little ones, you can't just stop what you're doing. You know, you right. have to keep making money to provide. Yeah. So, but but you know that went on for about ten ten or eleven years, and I I just really burnt just burnt myself out doing retail. Mm-hmm. Retail is pretty de- pretty demanding. And, uh, you know, and I kind of woke up when I turned 30 and said, what am I, you know, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be an artist. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, I thought I kind of had this early midlife crisis and I (laughs) said, man, I told my wife, I said, I can't do this anymore. I've got to pursue art. That's what I'm meant to do. Yeah. And in less than six months I had sold the business and started painting again. Wow. And so I how, didn't, I want to back up just a little didn't bit. How, how, how did that conversation go with, with your wife? Was she, uh, was she open you know, to that? that <laughs> I will, I will give her much credit that she supported me in that. And she didn't argue about it. Yeah. She knew that that's where my heart was and what I loved. Although she had never in our whole marriage at that, to that point, she had never really seen me do much. Mm-hmm. with art yeah you know so she was just trusting me <laughs> yeah i guess wow and so so how was that what was it like you know when you decided okay well i'm going all all in on this but you spent about did you say 10 years kind of not doing a whole lot of art yeah about 10 years i mean i dabbled in it i yeah. did you know, I did a little bit. I was, you know, a member of a small art group and, mm-hmm. but I mean, I did very little, Yeah. but I, I did some enough to know I still loved it. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And I guess that's the main thing. If you, uh, I mean, I was just kind of wondering like how, like, did you see a diminish, a diminishing in your, in your skills when you, when you dove back in or uh, you must have a, li- a little bit, but uh, I guess if you still love it, then then it doesn't matter too much because well, you'll, you'll overcome that. You know, I did. It's interesting you brought that because I definitely did notice a diminishing yeah. in my skills. Um, and I've always felt like I, 
was not the most talented artist on the planet by any stretch. Uh, not the most gifted, not the best, you know, not the best draftsman, not the best at anything really, but I had this desire, you know, really yeah. strong desire. Yeah. And I think that was, you know, ultimately just way more important than, than skill or, mm-hmm. or talent. So I just, you know, pushed ahead. I, fortunately I had sold the business for enough money that the plan was to live for like three years uh off the business cool but the problem the problem with that is that the guy I sold it to defaulted on the i basically you know financed it to him yeah and he defaulted on it after a year Ugh. and i didn't and i didn't want to go back into the bike business so i ended up having basically long short i had to sell the business again for you know just broke even that time and didn't make any money and yeah so i i had i had one full year to paint without having to work, yeah, which was really important. But then after that year, way before I was ready, I felt like, okay, either I got to go back into bike, the bike business, or I've got to pursue this career seriously to try to make money. And that's, I decided to do that. And so, so after that's when I started approaching galleries at that time. Okay. So about, about after one year, you, you set out yeah. looking at galleries. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at that point, um, you know, how many about, do you remember how many paintings you had that you were, you know, and did, did you feel like that, that, that you were ready, that the work was kind of ready? Um, no, you know, not yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in fact, I, in fact, I, I didn't even know really what kind of painting I was going to do. I, I was really drawn to the impressionists at that time. Uh-huh. And, you know, I was doing some impressionistic stuff. I was doing, I was even doing some like pointillism and uh, really, uh-huh. you know, kind of Monet like kind of work. Yeah. And I love that. I still love the impressionists, but um, I had to sort of search my heart. I, I was really struggling with which way to go, you know? Yeah what's my style and all the, you know, I think everybody goes through that. How do you find your style or, and, and I, you know, realized, I guess, through just thinking through all this, that your style doesn't happen really out of choice. It's, it's more just comes out of your heart, you know, it'll eventually come out, but I did do some soul searching and I thought, well, what really got me, you know, my gears turning when I was young, Mm -hmm. um, and it was always the old masters. It was always the Renaissance period, you know, the Flemish masters and just the real classical realism kind of thing. And so, and then that was confirmed when I I went to visit a friend of mine in Tulsa, his name is Leonard Wren, who's a great impressionist painter. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but um, I just wanted to get his advice. And I I had some impressionist paintings with me Mm -hmm. and I had a couple of, couple of kind of classical realism still life paintings and i said leonard what what should i be doing i don't know what to do yeah and he i said i love impressionism and but i can do this what kind of what kind of what what was the subject matter of the impressionist work uh landscape mostly all right so you basically presented him with Impressionist landscapes and kind of classical still lifes. 
Yeah, yeah. And his response, I mean, it really, like I said, it confirmed where I should go because he said, Jeff, just because you love Impressionism doesn't mean you're good at it. <laughs> doesn't mean that's where your gift is. Yeah. Just because you love something doesn't mean that's where you should that's, go. That's great advice. And he, and, he, yeah. and he looked at my, you know, my classical stuff and he said, that's what you're really good at, you know? And so that was kind of really turned the page and I started going more in that direction. Yeah. So. Were you, did you, did you love doing the impressionist stuff more or were you kind of, was that an okay, an acceptable answer? Like you were, were you a little bit disappointed with, to hear that or was it okay? Cause you, no, I, I think I loved it all at that point yeah. because it was all kind of new, but yeah. I think part of it was that, you know, the classical stuff really requires more drawing skill Mm-hmm. And that's a little intimidating, especially if you haven't drawn for 10 years, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I felt like it was a more daunting task to learn to do that. But, hmm. and then I bought a magazine, an art magazine. I think it was called U.S. Art back then. Yeah. And there was an article about David LaFell in there who I'd never heard of. Mm-hmm. And they had several images of his work. And his work just resonated with me so much. Right. And I thought, I that it can be done, you know, it can <laughs> still be done. Yeah. And so, you know, to see someone living doing that level of work, it just again it just pushed me yeah. further down that road. So And he must have been, I would imagine at that time, you know, he he must have been one of the very, very few who are doing that kind of work. This is like, or what, what are we talking like? Oh, you sold the business in 90. So we're talking early 90s. Yeah, that was early 90s. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I ended up taking two, two workshops, two like five day workshops from him back in the uh, early 90s. Mm-hmm. One in Taos, New Mexico, and one in Colorado. And, uh, and one of them, he had Sherry McGraw with him, the first one. Anyway, that, you know, it was just a great experience. And um, I definitely credit him as well for, you know, uh, inspiring me and helping me with learn things about painting still life, especially. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, uh, I've never, I've never consciously tried to paint like him i think it's just that we're both kind of wired that way and i i hope my work is you know i know people have compared it before with his work but sure i i think it's pretty clearly different in, in several different ways but uh, yeah i'm a little more free form i think in some ways yeah yeah probably my watercolor background has influenced that as well right right yeah i mean and and um so looking at your website and, and, and even before, um, I feel like I've seen some stuff from you in the last couple of years that's, um, that maybe you're, maybe you're uh, exploring the uh, Impressionist thing again. Well, I don't know if it's Impressionism or, or more just uh, delving into creating more mystery. 
Okay. In my work, I, I just love kind of passages and paintings that you think you know what you're looking at, but you're not quite sure. But you know, they're just mysterious. Yeah. Um, Fashion was really good at that. Uh, oh, gosh, there's a number of artists that can do that well, but right. you don't have to tell the whole story in a painting. Mm-hmm. You can leave things undone. You can leave things, quote, you know, unfinished. Um, objects emerging out of nothingness. You know, I just like that whole concept. I, I wouldn't really call it impressionism. I would call it more like suggestionism or something. You know? it's, uh, <laughs> I like that. Too. Where you're like suggesting things, but you're not telling the whole. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. paint, if you paint everything clearly out to the edges until you know where the painting is understandable, a hundred percent of it, it's really a you know it's a yawn fest. It's just it's boring. Yeah. So I really like work that has passages that are, you know, considered unfinished, I guess, or ethereal or obscure or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. word you want to use. But would you would you consider those areas also maybe um although I you know, I consider those those areas in your painting seem seem fairly active, um but they're not um trying to say I guess my, my original question was, do you consider those areas in your paintings kind of places where the eye can sort of rest? Um, or, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I think I have a lot of room to grow in that area. Uh, you know, I, I think I tend to make some things too busy or, um, and I'm really, you know, I really, you know, I struggle still as a painter just, Mm-hmm. Still finding my own way in 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 many ways, uh, trying to get better and uh, learning what works and what doesn't, and learning to be more restrained. And you know, yeah. every every piece is kind of a new adventure in that way. Right. No, it's it's great to hear you say that. Um, so I'm definitely going through the same thing. I I mean I've I'm trying to bring more. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if mystery is the right word, but I'm trying to probably not the right word but i'm trying to bring i guess paint mm-hmm. paint not as much exactly what's in front of me <laughs> uh, right right you know and i'm and i'm i mean i i set i set things up carefully so that i'm it's it's the thing i want to say um but i also want to have the freedom to uh and the ability to um you know to maybe go in a different direction in a certain area than, than what's right in front of me. So I, you know, that's something I'm trying to mm-hmm. teach myself how to do and, and learn how to do and push with each, with each painting now, but it's, yeah, not easy. Well, yeah. And I, a big epiphany I had, Oh gosh, it's been probably 15 years ago. Now um, I realized that, my setup, you know, my, my still life setup was just, it's just a springboard. It's just a starting Mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. And our job isn't, our job isn't to copy it. Our job is to use that, what we're looking at to create something even greater visually. And that was just a huge thing for me to, 
to realize. And yeah. uh, it, it was really a, you know, it really freed me up to be creative and to not be a slave to my subject. Um, so you, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a huge deal. How do you think that affects, or do, do you think it affects, um, uh, maybe a, uh, a narrative, um, feel to a still life? Do you think it adds anything or, or detracts being kind of looser in areas and, and, and maybe, you know, um, I mean, I guess it's not, maybe it's, it's almost well, narrative, I guess, if you're having I, areas it, that are that well, maybe not discernible, but. Well, and, you know, I don't know that my work would be described as narrative, at least not the bulk of it. Mm -hmm. I've done more narrative still life. Um, and they are, I think they do tend to be more finished just because they're a little more illustrative in a way. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Whereas you know, what we're talking about with the uh, unfinished, you know, kind of vignette type of a painting. Right. It's more, the nar the narrative is just how light moves across the objects. Mm -hmm. That's the only narrative that there is. So, um, but one thing that also I started doing, uh, I don't know, probably 10 years ago or so, is I started painting uh, a lot from my imagination and um, yeah i think that's um i think that's the work i was i was talking about when i was uh, mentioning maybe getting back to the impressionism but I'll, I'll let you continue well i i started doing realism from imagination and oh, okay. i i have done some kind of semi-abstract work that way but i one thing doing that will teach you is what you really know and what you don't know yeah. about, you know, how, how good your memory is and how, how much, uh, you know, about light and shadow and form. Right. And so it's good to measure that, but it also, um, once you've done enough paintings of light and shadow, you know, pretty much how it's going to, how light and shadow works over a form. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I can, you probably have seen some of my paintings that you would think were painted from life, but they're actually a hundred percent imaginative. Wow. Um, where I've just completely created it, but it's only because I've done so many of them that I can do that. Right. And I'm not sure that they're better than ones that are actually painted from life or even worse, but they're, they're a little different in that I'm unable to remember, you know, as much as when you're looking, actually looking at something. So yeah, sure. it tends to make me d distill everything down to really, you know, important shapes. Hmm. And it, so a lot of the chatter gets left out. Yeah. So it's been, been really healthy for that. Uh, so how have you, you know, seen a difference when yeah. you've, when you've, after doing that, have you seen a difference in the work that you do um, when you, when you actually are painting from life? Well, I get a lot slower when I'm painting from life. Hmm. Um, it's slower. I can paint much more quickly painting from imagination than right. painting from life. Because, because when I'm painting from life, I'm back to sort of semi being a slave to what I'm looking at, you know? Yeah. Um, so it slows me down. But probably in the end, if I were had, 
if I had to choose between the two, I don't know, I'd probably want to paint from life, but I don't think enough artists explore imaginative painting. I think it's a greatly beneficial mm -hmm. exercise. Yeah. So I'd recommend it. Yeah, I, I agree. I've done I've done a couple, not still lives, uh, but a couple of other uh, paintings from imagination lately. And it's been a huge mm -hmm. challenge. <laughs> and yeah, you're right. You realize, you really realize what you don't know, all, all the gaps. But I mean, there's just, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't know if any artist uh, doesn't have any gaps. I mean, there's just a, oh, yeah. a million different things to, a million different ways to paint. I mean, from still life and landscape to figure, figure and environment, portrait. I mean, all the, all the different mm -hmm. things you could focus on. And, uh, um, but I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. To yeah, know. I would I wouldn't imagine that that any that there's an artist out there that doesn't have any gaps. But I don't know. Maybe Jeremy Lipking. I don't know. No, seems I think, to cover I all think, the bases. Uh, if, any, if, if anyone's honest, I think they would. Yeah. You know, admit their their uh, you know areas that they lack in. But one thing that I have a lot of gaps in is figurative and portrait. But one thing that many people don't know is that that's my first love. Hmm. And when I, when I was talking about that mentor that I had, uh, when I was young, that's probably 95% of what we did was, uh, portraits. And, um, I just, I've always loved portraiture and figurative stuff. And, um, the still life really, I only started that because it started feeding my family. Yeah. And, uh, and then I kind of got pigeonholed that I'm the, you know, I'm a still life painter. That's what everybody thinks of me. Right. But right. truth be known, truth be known, I, I've been doing figurative and portrait stuff off and on the last several years, trying to get back into that cool. for my own sake. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know if I'll ever, if it'll ever be shown or I've cool. shown a little bit at some galleries, but mostly it's just stuff I've done on my own. Yeah. But I, I, uh, really want to get back into, uh, especially portraiture. I love, I love that. Uh, some narrative figurative work would be great. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah. And, and really painting still life painting figures, portraits, it's all, it's all the same thing, you know, right. It's just, it's form, form and color and right. shapes. Yeah. Sure. But, um, uh, one of my favorite painters and, you, you know, I know you've heard of him. And some people, I tell students about this guy and they, some of them, you know, look up his work and they're rather shocked at some of his images, but I truly think he's one of the greatest painters in the world today is Odd Nerdrum. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I just, uh, I think yeah. he's just a fabulous painter and I aspire to, you know, paint not, not necessarily the same subject or anything, but <laughs> you know, that quality level yeah. is just pretty amazing yeah he's he's pretty great um that's that's exciting uh i mean so how how much time are you spending doing that kind of work right now versus versus the still life stuff that you know we know you for well not not nearly enough i my my plan is to hopefully um, segue into doing at least half of the time figurative, mm -hmm. maybe even more if, if there's a market for it, you know, I'd do it all the time. 
Yeah. Um, but you know, I still have to pay the bills. So sure, sure. I have to do what makes a living. That's the only downside of doing this professionally is, right. uh, to some extent you're, you have to paint for the market and I hate that about doing it for a living. I, I wish I was wealthy enough to not have to do it for a living and then yeah. I can just paint whatever the heck I want to paint. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I oftentimes, you know, painting in the studio, doing a still life. And I'm just thinking, man, I wish I could work on this idea for a <laughs> figurative piece. Yeah. But I know I've got to send this work out to get you know, still life out to a gallery. So mm-hmm. they're waiting on it. So I've got to, get it finished. But yeah, I hope, hope to put some of that out there in front of the public eye one of these days. So just I've, I've done a little bit I put out there, but not much. Yeah. Hmm? Well, just on the, um, on the kind of practical uh, level of that. So let's say you get, you get a group of, of that kind of work together. Would you, do you feel like you'd have to approach uh, different galleries or do you think the galleries that you already show at, would they be willing to show both? Well, one gallery will show both. And that's one of the major reasons I'm in that gallery. And that's uh, yeah. gallery 1261 in Denver. Um, cool. They're willing to show anything I do, whether it's abstract or figurative realism they'll show whatever i do and that's that's a wonderful thing about that gallery yeah that's, that's uh, other great. other gallery other galleries i mean i mean they would probably be open to showing some figurative stuff but i don't have a you know i don't have a track record yeah with them on yeah. that so they're they're they want to they have to keep their lights on too so they want to you know get yeah. paintings they know they can sell so they're probably you know some galleries are a little hesitant but um I think if uh, you know if an artist has a body of work that they, they can show a gallery and show them that this is just a fluke, you know, you're, you're doing it consistently, right? And it's a good body of work. I think you know, if they're not willing to show that, I would probably get a different gallery, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, I find find one that will show it. Yeah, yeah. So, um. I, you mentioned something, and this is totally kind of switching gears here, but um, mm-hmm. you mentioned something earlier having, uh, you know, your dad was an entrepreneur and then you you kind of <clears throat> understood marketing and, uh, you know, started your own business. I was wondering if you have any uh, marketing tips as far as art goes that, that, that you could offer to uh, fellow artists. Oh man, I, you know, the broad question, it's really just but, uh, anything, anything that it's comes just, to mind. Well, the, the broad answer is just getting exposure, you know? Yeah. And, and the, the, our world is somewhat different now than it was prior to say 2008, you know, when the economy yeah. tanked and um, before that artists that were doing good work, didn't have any trouble selling all their work, you know? All it's amazing. Time. It's amazing and to think that of that time now. <laughs> really. Yeah, those like, are like the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> but uh and you know, I'm fortunate enough that I established a career prior to that, so yeah. you know, it sort of carried me carried me through this these more lean times, but um 
And, you know, and then the internet has changed a lot too. Some ways for the better, some ways for the worse. Yeah. Uh, and I, but I think getting, you know, starting out today as an artist, maybe a whole different thing than yeah. when I started out. But ultimately, it still comes down to getting exposure in front of the right sets of eyes. Yeah. And I, you know, like I, I think we talked about briefly that, you know, I tried the the outdoor art festival thing for like six months when I first started painting. I thought that that must be the way to go. And yeah. I quickly, quickly, quickly realized that no, no way is that the way to go because number one, you're spending all your time on the road, setting up a tent and waiting on customers and, you know, fighting the the elements. I, you're just spending too much time doing that energy. Right. Right. And, and also those types of festivals and things, they'll just never bring the prices that you can get through a gallery Mm -hmm. and getting in, getting in with a good gallery just gives you a whole lot more credibility you know, that you're really a serious artist. And then when you start getting those higher prices and then you're taken even more seriously. So, uh, so yeah, I kind of a snowball pretty quickly found out. Yeah. yeah, I quickly found out that the gallery route was the route for me, (laughs) even though you're giving a lot of the the profit to the gallery, they can still take you places that you can never get on your own in your career. So, yeah. Um, I think, uh, I was going to say, unfortunately, but I, you know, I don't know. It is what it is. It's, I think that's just still the case today. Um, unless you can, unless you just have such a high profile that, that you're able to, you know, sell things on your own. But I don't, I don't know of anyone who's doing that. I feel like all the mo- the highest profile artists I can think of are, are selling through galleries still. Yeah. yeah, there's a there's a few that run their own ads, you know, in some of the magazines, and and I think you can sell work that way. I I've never really had the budget to do that consistently. Like, yeah, you know, they say you have to do advertising, you know, in a magazine every month for a year or two for it to really right. see the results of it. And it's a pretty big, yeah. you know, commitment financially yeah. to do that, but. I think if you're doing really good work and you're getting it out there in front of some of the people that collect art, you know, you're going to sell work that way. But, you know, again, you got to have twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 to do that, you know, right. um, to do that kind of advertising. Uh, and so I never really, you know, was able to do that at least early, early on in the career. So, but I, you know, probably the number one thing I think to make it as an artist is just to not have a lot of overhead and to live within your means and, you know, live in a area that's not too terribly expensive to live in, mm-hmm. you know, low, low cost of living area. Um, so you yeah. don't have to sell as much work to, to make it. Uh, yeah, that's the only thing I can say I, it's never yeah. really affected my income as far as where I'm living you know I, I right. can pretty as an artist you can pretty much live anywhere if you can if they have a FedEx or UPS you yeah, can ship sure. work right, other right. places but yeah um, 
Yeah, you yeah, know that. That said, I there, there are times when I wished I lived in a place like New York, just because I think it would be stimulating to be around a lot of other artsy type people. I think sure. I'd probably get tired of it after a while, but I I do miss <laughs> some of that. So I don't have a I don't have a great deal of that where I'm at now. You know. Yeah, so. I mean, I uh, I mean I lived I lived there going to school, uh, and I'm. I don't know. I'm definitely glad that I don't live there still. I mean, I, I agree. It's, you know, that, that kind of energy can be in, invigorating, you know, and, and, and being around a lot of other people who are, who are doing the same, same thing you are. But, um, man, I, I really value being not in New York City at this point. Well, yeah, and at the same time, I've always been one to not want to be influenced too much mm-hmm. by other other painters. Yeah, because you end up chase, chasing after all these other ideas that aren't your own, mm-hmm. and it can be really—I mean—that's never-ending. Yeah. So, yeah. I've I've always kind of remained a little bit isolated, um, and just get out every once in a while. That way. Hopefully, you know, something that's truly from my heart comes out mm-hmm. rather than trying to emulate someone else. Um, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's so easy to get caught up in, in uh, you know, chasing, chasing a ball down the street that, you know, it's not even your ball. And you, <laughs> you get halfway right. down the street and you're like, why am I chasing this ball? It's not even my ball. What am I doing here? Yeah. Uh, you know. Right. That's, and, that's, and we're all going to, you know, we're, we're all going to be influenced by somebody, but I think you need to be real picky in yeah. who that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you're influenced by. No, yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, certainly, like, you know, you, you're, you're influenced by, um, oh my gosh, I'm, how can I be? LaFell? Yeah, LaFell, sorry. Uh, yeah. You know, but, but, but like you said, that you, you felt like you guys were, were kind of kindred spirits. You were kind of coming from the same place. And, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, but it's, it's uh, you know, this is a conversation that I have with, with friends of mine um, that social media can just be so, uh, uh, just so, it's, you know, it's great in a lot of ways, but it can be so awful in that way that it's just, it's easy to get caught up in, in, uh, kind of what's, what's going on out there. What seems to be really popular. I right know. Now, and, and, um, it's really, I know I, I, I find myself looking through the Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. wall and looking at all these paintings and I'm going, what am I doing? You know, this is, yeah. you know, sometimes you see some, something really worthy looking at, look at, but Gosh, it's, it can be such a time waster. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and then you end up, you know, like you say, you you see something you like and think, why, you know, yeah. I wish I were doing that. And yeah, then you yeah. chase after you chase after that ball for a while, and you go, well, that probably wasn't smart, you know. <laughs> so it's better just to do your own thing, I guess. And yeah, yeah, for sure. To, I mean, you gotta to focus on that. Yeah, and that's all you can do. I mean. Um, yeah, you got to just be able to trust that, I think, because it's going to be the most honest work that you could make, and, and that comes through, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, we mentioned, we we talked briefly before we started recording about painting for the market versus uh, following your heart, and um, 
you know, I think that when you get caught up in, in seeing seeing something shiny on the internet, um, I think that falls kind of under the category of painting for the market in that it's not really it's not you being authentic with your work. Yeah, you you definitely have to paint from your own heart and and seek to be just honest and truthful and uh paint what you love, you know. Don't paint what other people what you think other people will love. Mm-hmm. I think if you paint what you love, there's always going to be someone else that will, you know, will resonate with that. Um so you'd also asked again before we started talking about, you know, other ways to, uh, you know, have an income when maybe your paintings aren't selling really well. Right, right. Yeah. And which, you know, which is the case for a lot of artists these days. And, you know, the obvious thing is teaching. And I, I, I do some workshops. Uh, typically, I've, in the past, I've only done maybe one or two, uh, maybe three a year at the most. Mm-hmm. Um I guess lately, just because I'm maybe starting to like teaching more, I'm yeah. starting to teach a little bit more, and it's 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 nice because then you have a paycheck at the end of the week or whatever. You right. know, you actually have yeah. a <laughs> know that you have some income. Yeah. Um. So that's a that's been a great a great thing. I'm this cool. year. I think I have five five workshops I'm teaching, but nice. which is a lot for me. Um, yeah, that is a lot. And then, are these uh, things where people are just are people are just calling you up and inviting you out to uh, to come do that? Yeah, mostly mostly that's that. Um, there's I teach pretty regularly at the Scottsdale Art School in oh, okay. uh, Arizona, uh-huh. so they invite me back every so often, you know. And um, and then other places they just call me out of the blue and say, "Hey, can you come teach?" And if there's some way I can do it, I'll do it. Yeah. But um, uh, the hard thing about still life is that you have to have the equipment, you know, the lighting and the, the tables and everything that goes along right. with still life painting. So it's a little more difficult to set something like that up. Mm-hmm. I'd really like to teach portraits, which would be a whole lot more oh, yeah, that'd <laughs> easy be cool. to, to do. But uh, another thing that, you know, along the same lines of teaching um, – I've done a few DVDs, uh, instructional DVDs that, mm-hmm. you know, have supplemented my income cool. over the years. Are those, those available uh, on your website? Well, the first three I did, I did through um, Little Doll. Okay. And those are available through them uh-huh. still, yeah. and they still sell quite a few of those. And then nice. I did one, I did one, I guess it's been about, uh, a couple of years ago now, it's my newest DVD is on my website. Okay. And I, I think it's my best DVD. My brother actually, uh, he's a videographer. He did the the filming and editing and everything and did it just a really great job. And nice. it's like uh, pretty much, he did it during a workshop I was teaching. So pretty much filmed, you know, me doing a demo from start to finish over about three or four days. Cool. Um, so it's pretty, you know, pretty complete as far as the information I give, yeah. I think, hopefully. And, uh, it's done really well, nice. uh, on the market, but that's been a good, you know, supplement for field. You know, when you get, sell one of those, it almost feels like free money because you yeah, did all yeah, the work definitely. up front. And 
Yeah, that's awesome. And then you get a check every once in a while, so mm-hmm. it's nice. Cool. Yeah, th- I mean, those are great things that uh, seem pretty. They seem pretty solid as far as uh, something you can count on when, um, you know, when maybe you're not selling as many paintings as you want. Um, have there been long? Have you had long stretches in your career where where things have just kind of dried up, or 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 have you have you sold pretty mm. consistently? No, I've been very, very, very lucky and very blessed that uh, nice. It's been very, you know, especially back in the good old days prior to yeah. two thousand nine. Um, things were really good back then for a lot of artists. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I, you know, I'd been at it for quite a while up until that point. So I'd already mm-hmm. established a pretty good base of clientele and galleries, kind of a gallery network. So, yeah. um, I still, you know, sell my work pretty consistently and, um, yeah, so it's, it's been great. Um, I will say too, that one thing that has helped me a lot is that I, uh, I guess probably about 10 or 12 years into this career, I, uh, kind of realized that my career wasn't really mine. It was God's. And I, I, I just committed my career to him because it's really his career. You know, he gave me this gift and I'm just doing what he wants me to do with it. I hope. And, uh, and, and, Seriously, when I did that, um, my career took off. That's really when it took off the most huh. is when I just handed that all to him and said, you know, God, this isn't, this isn't for me to, for my own glory and my own profit, you know, it's, it's just, it's yours. And if you want it to be successful, then you make it successful. And that was really kind of the start of really, you know, going, things going really well. So... Wow, that's pretty interesting. Like, so, because hmm. I'm not a religious I can't explain person, it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm wondering if there's something, uh, you know, tangible that you started doing differently at that point. Um, um, I don't think so. I, I. I think the only thing tangible was I just relaxed. You know, I, yeah. I didn't worry as much i just yeah. uh just let him have the reins as they say and mm-hmm. and uh yeah so yeah i'm not a religious person but i i'm definitely spiritual you know yeah. christian i believe i i really am a believer and uh um i think that's um you know the really the way to go as far as you know on the spiritual side of things i you know i I know many people are not of that persuasion and but uh that's all i know is what you know what i know to be true and what uh what happened in my career so um and that's not to say that everything's perfect now you know and that every there's never times when i uh, you know don't there's there are, there are still times when I worry you know when am I getting my next check when's the next painting going to sell but yeah but I quickly realized that you know he's always provided somehow and you know I don't need to 
to worry about that and it, it'll yeah. it'll all come somehow and uh so he just that's the thing about faith is it's not just a one-time deal it's kind of you know you have to walk in it on a daily basis right that's kind of what it's all about so cool um so jeff one of the things uh i wanted to ask you about was um uh the opa and how um i guess how how important you viewed that your relationship with with them um how important has that been to, uh, I guess, the growth of your career, maybe, or you know, as, as something that has put you out there and, and helped sustain your career? Um, well, for those of you that don't know, OPA stands for Oil Painters of America, and um, yeah, I'm really grateful to OPA. They've they've uh, you know opened up some opportunities that I might not have otherwise had. I think. Um, you know, it's, it's been a great place for exposure mm-hmm. in their shows that they do. They do like one national show every year and, um, two regional shows. And, uh, and one thing I realized, I guess, early on was that, you know, actually not just the OPA, but any shows, uh, that you do, yeah. it's really good to, to go there and actually be present because it opens up doors to, you know, meet other artists and meet gallery owners, meet collectors, mm-hmm. meet magazine people. And you may not, you know, every trip may not turn into something, but I'd say the majority of the time, I'm really glad that I've attended, you yeah. know, OPA events or whatever. And, you know, I've made contacts that have been pretty important, but, you know, being, being with OPA, cool. I think for me, you know, I've, I became a signature member first, which they have these, you know, these different tiers. You start out as an associate member and um, then you're, you're voted in by your peers to be a signature member. And then ultimately they have the master signature membership, which I'm a part of now and really still shocked that I even got there there (laughs) because I feel like I'm among some really amazing painters. Um, But so that, you know, just having that, I guess they call it status, you know, as far as OPA goes, has, you know, enhanced the credibility factor. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. probably opened up some doors with, you know, I've gotten my foot in the door, maybe some galleries and shows that maybe I might not have otherwise, you know, gotten their attention. Right, so right. I think in, in that way, it's been a really good thing. Um, it's a really large organization. Of, I think there's something like 4,000 members or, you know, it's a huge number. Wow. And, uh, and then when they do the national show, they typically have about 2,500 entries. Mm-hmm. And I've been uh, on the jury for those before. So, you know, they select maybe two, two to 250 paintings out of those 2,500 so it's really hard to get in these shows. So it's just an honor yeah. even to be selected. And I, I hear from a lot of associate members and you know members of OPA that they're frustrated because they don't get in to the shows. Mm-hmm. And I would say just keep persevering because uh, it's just a matter of time. You know, if yeah. you're doing decent paintings, 
um, it just takes time because there's so many people that enter. It's just a lot of paintings don't get selected that were, were probably worthy of being in the show, but there's just not room for them, you know? Right. Um, so you have to be a member so, first um, to get into the show? Or can you yeah, get you have to be at least being a member? No, you have to be at least an associate member, I believe, okay. just to enter the okay. show. And um, so, yeah, it is frustrating, I know, for a lot of artists because they say, well, I've entered, you know, three times and I've never gotten in. But truth of the matter is, I've entered, you know, when I was a signature, I, a signature member, I still had to be selected to get in the show. And I, there's, I don't know there's probably been four or five times that I entered as a signature member and didn't get in. Wow. really? So, you know, I've experienced that myself. I think a lot of them, a lot of artists that are, you know, at that level, they don't always get in. There's no guarantees. There's, it's not a political bias thing. I mean, you're selected on the merits of your work. So, and by nature, there's a lot of, I mean, I've heard, um, a lot of a lot of those organizations, I think, do get a rap for being um, for having a for for there being a lot of politics involved. But um, well, that's what they think. But I yeah. know for a fact in OPA that's not the case. You know, I've, I've been a judge and I've been on the jury, and um, no, it's it's not the case. It's as unbiased as anything I know out there. Cool. So uh, not to say that that doesn't happen. I mean, sure, nobody's perfect, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, from what I know about the organization, um, they're very, you know, on the up and up as far as that goes. Yeah. It's just hard to get in because there's just so many members is the deal. Right. So how long did it take you to kind of climb up uh, to where you're at now? Uh, you know, I joined early on when they first started, like maybe a year after OPA started in, I think 1991 or something. Oh, wow. And I, and I didn't get the OPA master until, um, I think it was 2003 or four. So it took a while. Yeah. So I'm not recalling exact dates, but yeah, yeah. I would, I would assume, uh, that your advice you know, to anybody wanting to go that route would just be stick to it, right? Just keep, keep applying, keep. Well, yeah. Focus on doing your best work and, um, yeah, don't, don't give up. I mean, it's, it's, I, it may sound like I'm saying that so that you pay your, you know, everybody pays their entry fees. Well, the entry fees do help keep the organization going, obviously, but, Um, you know, for myself, I, I, I just about gave up trying to get the master membership because I, I was rejected uh, two or three times applying for that. You have to apply. And then, and, and uh, then are you, is that, you mentioned you're voted in as a signature member. Are you also voted in by your peers as the master? You're voted, you're voted in by the other masters. Okay. So, wow. They, yeah, I, I just I just about I just about gave up and, yeah. and uh I somebody from OPA, I think somebody in the on the staff or something said, Don't give up, you know and <laughs> and I said, Okay, I'll apply one more time and that was the time <laughs> I got in. So huh. um, anyway. 
Yeah. Um, so do you think that's something that, um, I mean, clearly, clear, <clears throat> sorry, clearly it's been, uh, good for your career and, and, and you said it's, it's opened a lot of doors for you. So that's, I would assume that's a route that you would, that you would, um, recommend for young artists getting out there. Well, I don't know that it's the only organization, you know, I mean, there's a lot of other organizations right. out there that are, are good. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm involved in some others, but, um, yeah, it's one, it's one way. It's not a magic bullet or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a good solid organization. And, um, you know, even if you don't get in, if, if you apply and don't get in going to their national shows, is a lot of fun because they have demos and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, artists giving different talks on things and stuff and you get to meet people. Right. So it's it's good it you know i can't say that it made my career or anything to to be involved in opa but it, it didn't hurt yeah. by any means you know right, it right, definitely right. did open some doors i think and uh the, the the main thing is just to do good work you know do do really quality work i think that's right. the most important thing you can do in a new career but uh, and then to get exposure, you know, whether that's through OPA or, or, uh, you know, impressionist society or whatever Mm -hmm. through galleries or whatever, just get exposure somehow. Yeah. You got to find your own way because it's not the same path for everyone. I think you kind of have to find your own path. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, that's, that's the thing that I've found with through all of these interviews is just that, there's there's so many different there's so many different ways to to do this career um <clears throat> but but there are some mm-hmm. some kind of touchstones like that that I think are are um um you know kind of universal something that everybody could do uh that 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 could be beneficial yeah and i i really want to stress that if you know the chances are if you enter an OPA, if you're a member and you enter a show and you, you're not going to get in. I mean, it's just the odds are kind of against you in some ways because, like I say, 2,500 entries and they pick 200 paintings. It's not easy. Yeah. Um, and, so, and some of that is, you know, you may do a masterpiece and not get in just because of that. Mm-hmm. But that said, I would still encourage someone to go to the event and network with who's there, you know, yeah. it may open doors that you don't even realize there are doors for, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've met, I'm, I'm pretty sure probably going to some of those events led to my first magazine cover, you know, because oh, I met, I met, I met an editor of a magazine and I think if I remember things right, I, you know, told him I was doing a, a show in Jackson, Wyoming at the time. It was, I think it was a two person show or something. And mm-hmm. they, they ended up coming to the show and then they chose to do an article and I got on the cover, you know, the Southwest art. Cool. Back then. Yeah. So you never know what's going to transpire. Right. <clears throat> showing up. You know? Yeah. I don't know who, who, who some famous person said, half the half the battle is just showing up you right. know right and i think there's a lot of truth to that you got to get your face out there in front of the 
people and, and get people to put a face with your paintings to put a person with associated person with the paintings that you do. And, yeah. And that's not easy when you're shy, you know, most artists mm-hmm. tend to be shy and yeah. introverted and I, I'm one of them. It's exactly I've, what I was I've, just I've, thinking is, is that it's, it's too bad that exact thing that you're describing is, is, you know, so painful for some people, but, but you're well, right. we're also pretty thin. We're also pretty thin skinned. You know? yeah, yeah. When we get, when we suffer a rejection, the last thing you want to do is show up and of course. Yeah. have someone ask you, well, where's your painting? Well, I didn't get in, you know, <laughs> so, but sometimes you just have point. to humble yourself and go. <laughs> yeah, no, you that's know? hard to do because, uh, yeah, I don't know. I certainly, you know, re- rejection makes me, um, my first reaction is, uh, well, I'll show them, you know, screw them. I, yeah. don't, I don't need them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I'm the same way, you know, nobody likes to be rejected, but yeah. you know, you get over it and you move on. And I think it, ultimately it sharpens you. you well, know? and I think that's, um, part of, you know, if we want to, I guess if we want to be professional artists, we have to be, we got to be professional and maybe that's, you know, that's part of being professional is, is not taking things like that personally and just kind of sticking with mm-hmm. it, you know? Right. You take those experiences and you, you know, hopefully become a better painter, a better person because of them. Yeah. Not let them, you know, tear you down, but somehow turn it around, work harder. Yeah, yeah. Because of it, so. Well, that sounds like a great uh, place to wrap up. Jeff, is there anything else uh, that you want to say to uh, the people out there listening? Um, let's see. Millions and Gosh, I guess, millions of people I guess listening not. to this. I just, you know, <laughs> use that special software you have to make me sound really smart. That's all I can <laughs> say. <laughs> no. Um, I have to use it. It no, only I'm works just... on one person. So I, I have to use it on myself. Okay. So sorry. Okay. It's only, I did, I got the no. cheap version that only covers one person. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> it'll have to do then. No, I just, I'm really honored that you asked me to uh, do this and, and uh, it was my pleasure. Okay, thanks so much to Jeff Legg for a great interview, just so open and straightforward. I love that. And check out his website, jefflegg.com. Buy his DVD, take his workshop. Um, Great artist, great guy. And thanks to our sponsor, FACE, the figurative art convention and expo being held in Miami at the Biltmore Hotel this November. Seating is limited. To learn more, go to figurativeartconvention.com. So in closing, I just want to mention that I saw the Wonder Woman movie this past weekend, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, a big reason I wanted to see it, um, besides Gal Gadot, of course, uh, was because of this quote I saw from the director, Patty Jenkins, um, that was floating around on Facebook, which I'm sure many of you saw as well. 
She was being interviewed by the New York Times, and the interviewer said something about a question that she had uh, being cheesy, and this was Patty Jenkins' response. Um, She said, did you say cheesy? Cheesy is one of the words banned in my world. I'm tired of sincerity being something we have to be afraid of doing. It's been like that for 20 years, that the entertainment and art world has shied away from sincerity, real sincerity, because they feel they have to wink at the audience because that's what the kids like. We have to do the real stories now. The world is in crisis. I wanted to tell a story about a hero who believes in love, who is filled with love, who believes in change and the betterment of mankind. I believe in it. It's terrible when it makes so many artists afraid to be sincere and truthful and emotional and relegates them to the too-cool-for-school department. Art is supposed to bring beauty to the world. And I think that's great. Um, She's exactly right. I think beauty, sincerity, and honesty should be three key ingredients um, that we use to make every painting. And... um, I don't think that's in any way inhibiting uh, as far as the subject matter that we choose to paint. That doesn't mean that that every painting we make is is a beautiful sunset or a you know a bouquet of flowers. Um, although I will admit that if your goal is making art uh, that's about beauty, sincerity, and honesty, there are going to be things that that simply don't interest you. Um, and I guess I guess that's the point too. You know, I have no interest in the ironic or grotesque or, or shocking or, or sarcasm in art. Um, you know, I just I think those things are stupid and boring and uh, just, you know, they're just not my bag. Um, you know, and, and I'm happy th- to say that, you know, I think I'm probably preaching to the choir here. Um, if you're tuning in to hear from the artists that I'm interviewing you know, I think you're already on the the beauty, honesty, and sincerity train. Um, so, anywho, um, let's all do our best uh, to stay true to that, and uh, you know, and keep those things in mind when we're when we're choosing uh, our next paintings. Um, and real quick before I go. I just want to say thank you so much to those of you who have left reviews on iTunes uh, for this podcast. I read through them the other day, and they're just, they're so nice. Uh, So thank you, thank you, thank you. And please continue to rate the show on iTunes. And please drop me a line if you want to at danny at dannygrantfineart.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, dannygrantfineart. Um, and that's all that I have for you guys today. So thank you for listening and I'll talk to you next time.
Believe. 